emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ed Kless, and unfortunately again this week, folks, not with my co-host Ron Baker. I'll give you an update on that in just a second, but I'm excited to have on for the second time to the show, my friend and mentor, Howard Hansen. Hello, Ed, and Good to be with you, and thanks for the invitation to be with you. It's well, we're we're happy to have you. Just to, just before we get started, Howard, I did want to give our listeners a quick update on Ron. He, as many of you know, if you've listened to the last couple of shows, is experiencing a a health related issue. And uh, I was told by a couple of people that I should say this specifically: he does not have the Rona, yeah. not the Rona. <laughs> So <laughs> you can put that out of your mind. He, he, he's recovering well. And with any uh, luck, I'm, and I did talk to him a couple days ago, I think he will be quickly on the mend and will be ready to come back for our 300th show next week, which is our big milestone for us. Well, that is a milestone. Congratulations in advance on that. That's impressive. And it, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot of shows. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of shows. And um, Howard, I'm just going to quick introduce you at, at a pretty high level. You've been on the show previously. Uh, it was, I can't believe it, almost five years ago. You were, I, I think, our second ever interview. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, at the time, the, your, your partner, uh, Steve Jeske, who is no longer with us, unfortunately, rest in peace, was also on the show. And but your your background is is though, and where I met you is you were the vice president of human resources with the company that uh, was known or I guess still is known as Great Plains, which was bought by Microsoft in in two thousand and is now the products are now known as Microsoft Dynamics GP. And your role there was really interesting in that you were a a the first what I now term meta consultant, even though it didn't didn't uh, exist because you were a consultant to us consultants. <laughs> Which was just yes. a, a lot of fun. It was a lot uh, of fun. Yeah, and that's how you and I uh, began our long and interesting friendship relationship, uh, which I'm um, thrilled to be able to say continues today and remains rich and rewarding for both of us, I think. It, it is. We, we Just a uh, full disclosure, Howard and I have a, a weekly conversation that we we have stuck to fairly well uh, over the last couple of years. And it's, it's one of the things that I look forward to closing my week out uh, is on Friday morning is my conversation with Howard and Friday afternoon is doing the radio show. So Fridays are always a wonderful day for me for lots of reasons. But Howard, I wanted to talk to you about your, your work that you've mm -hmm. done with Steve and, and some updates on thinking, especially in the climate mm -hmm. today. Your, your book is called Healing Leadership. And what I loved about that, and Steve said this on the, the show last time, that it's a double entendre, that, that leadership as a concept needed to be healed, as you guys saw it, and there was a, a big struggle with that. But also, if leadership is done well, 
it could be healing in and of itself. It could actually heal some of the harms that people come to. And, and, and you guys profess that some of the, the best places that this could take place is inside businesses. And just kind of other than what I, I've given up, give us a, a few minutes overview of, of the concept of healing leadership. And then I've got a real tough question for you right after that. Okay. Um, happy, happy to launch there. The, um, the topic of leadership has been around in my head for a long time, maybe a lot, not quite as long for Steve, but we began to notice uh, a, in challenging levels of employee satisfaction in people we either related to, in Steve's case, um, worked with privately as a, uh, as a therapist, and in my case, as an observer of one organization and then quite a few of leadership and management where it was either working well or not working well, and that could be gauged, we thought, quite successfully by understanding the levels of satisfaction that were achieved by those who were working in those organizations and subjected to, for lack of a better word, to all kinds of leadership. And what be it began to dawn on us that more often than not, <clears throat> leadership in its orthodox, normally accepted ways and styles tends not to work very well. In fact, might do more harm than good for people. That then led us to do some thinking about not so much what's, what's well, to some degree, what's wrong with current kinds of leadership, but what, more importantly, what could we do about that? What might be done about that? And that's how we got started with our work and our book and along the way, some consulting. And we still do, you and I continue to do that thinking. What, what's wrong with it and how can it be changed? And I guess then the tough question, Howard, is in lieu of what's been happening throughout the world, but especially in the United States within, in the addition to the COVID-19 crisis, but also the situation uh, that, that has happened with Black Lives Matter and the, 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 uh, the increased anxiety, uh, have we lost? Should we just wrap this up and go home? And, do we, do we, I mean, and then we could end the show. We could be yeah. like early and just dead air for the next 50 minutes, you, I guess. You've, you've been tracking my despair about this over the last weeks and months as we've talked regularly. I'm trying to be, I try to be awake and, and notice um, how language is used in our world and around us. I spend some amount of time with with media uh, looking for ways that language is changing or altering itself and one of those things i've been looking for lately is some mention of to say nothing of discussion about how leadership should be considered changed altered reviewed described and, and developed 
in these particular times that we're in, which as you just suggested, and I agree with, are times that seem now at higher than ever levels of chronic anxiety and worry, which is a con which connects back to the healing leadership idea where we, and when I say we, I, I'm always remembering and including our great late friend, Steve Chesky in our thinking, we began to consider, and we were influenced deeply by Edwin Friedman's thinking in his book, Failure of Nerve, we began to consider that maybe the techniques, uh, the tips and tricks of leadership, just, just took a look at Amazon this morning for leadership books and and two of the first five that pop up are lists of ways to do something as leaders, how to be better as a leader. There are five trips, tips or tricks to do that. We began to think that maybe um, leadership ought to be more about how a leader is present rather than how a leader manages things or controls things or directs things with people. And that because that those styles of leadership that I just mentioned that don't seem to be working well are so um, consistently used across the spectrum of organizations in or in with people who are now more anxious than ever, it may be failing more than ever, if that makes any sense. We've always believed it has a high level of failure. Now we're wondering if it's failing even more. And then back to my discouragement about, I hear less discussion, conversation, interest, dialogue about leadership, whatever it is, however it may be defined in current contemporary media than I think I've ever heard before. Yeah, and no, I think that's an important point, Howard, and, and, and it struck me as you were talking is, is that th th this is not a question of the, the, the notion of leaders themselves. This is you're just not hearing or we're just not hearing any conversation about the, about the concept of leadership in and of itself and the importance which, of it. Which, is, which gets back to your first question a moment ago <laughs> or your first observation. Is this even worth talking about anymore if... If, if it is no longer a thing and leadership is now at the point where it just happens, however it happens, and it's taken for granted or not taken at all, then is this thinking we're doing, conversation we're trying to have, interactions we're trying to create with others about the concept even worth doing? That's how discouraging it seems today with respect to, the, to this idea. Well, interestingly enough, shortly after we got off our call this morning, an article came across my desk uh, from Jeffrey Tucker, who's, who's been another guest on The Soul of Enterprise previously. And the title of his article from AIER today was, When Will All the Madness End? And mm -hmm. he, it, it, one of the things that he, he talks about is that uh, he had a conversation with a practicing psychotherapist on the day that the lockdown started in New York City, which is where he was. And what this, this is a quote from this, uh, 
this, this, this person, he says, I'm a practicing psychiatrist who specializes in anxiety disorders, paranoid delusions, and irrational fear. I've been treating this as a specialist. It's hard enough to contain these problems in normal times. What's happening now is the spread of this serious mental condition, condition to the whole population. And he, he quotes from a book, and this, I, I'm trying to take some solace in this. So <laughs> going back to 1841, a book called The Extraordinary Popular Delusions of, and Madness of Crowds by Charles Mackey in 1841. And you probably have heard the, the, the quote, and that is, is that uh, men, men, go, um, men go mad in herds while they only recover their senses slowly one by one. Hmm. Yeah. It, it isn't that important. Uh, whether, whether we talk about leadership or not, and I, I hope we still can and will and do, is it is important to know and observe and be aware of what I think you and I believe and others would join us in this thinking. There is a heightened level of crowd or mob anxiety existing in our culture today than there has been in perhaps generations and that that is getting in the way the existence of that heightened chronic anxiety is getting in the way of our capacity to be reasonable rational calm creative inventive initiative focused and effective. Yep. So very true. Well, Howard, we are up against our first break. Want to remind our listeners that they can get a hold of Ron and me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website, of course, is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes as well as previews to all of the upcoming shows and our archive page of all 298 previous shows. But right now, a word from our sponsor. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program, This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah, 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 Whatever. And four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. 
for a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise with me today on the soul of enterprise is my friend and mentor howard hansen and howard you um were were uh, we, I think we set up a, a really good conversation to talk about chronic and episodic anxiety, but I'd like if you would, you, you said there's a couple of paragraphs from your book, Healing Leadership, uh, which is, by the way, the only book that I personally will give a money back guarantee for. If you buy this book and don't <laughs> like it, I will, I, will, I will personally buy it back from you. So, <laughs> um, Howard, if you would read a couple paragraphs. You can't, you can't go wrong with that deal. Um, That's right. When we were considering the book and how it might help all of us understand more about how anxiety and stress gets in the way of of effective performance in an organization. We, we did a little research of our own and Steve had a, a good take in that part of the book that he wrote about the brain under stress where, and I'll quote now from the book, stress makes up patterns in things when there are none. Under stress, our brains will see explanations, meaning, and even elaborate conspiracies, when in fact there is no such basis for conclusions. And then we, Steve and I talked about the movies a lot, and we picked up on this. We, he pulled out a scene from The Hunt for Red October, saying that it appears that the brain gets desperate for meaning under stress in a sense like Jonesy's sonar computer in the hunt for Red October, our brains just simply run home to mama. So it seems that our brains have two processing routes for generating a response to our perceived environment. One route we call the load road. The processing circuit runs at a speed of about 25 milliseconds. The second route called a high road processes at about 125 milliseconds. A high road is for complex problem solving. It's slower, but more precise. And But under stress, and this is the important point, low road processing dominates our thinking. We have the illusion that we are seeing patterns that are in fact not there. This is particularly critical idea for people who are working in organizations and who are tasked with critical thinking, problem-solving challenges. Plans that appear to be coming together can in fact be coming apart while our brain and its need for order and meaning is generating illusions internally. And what this means is snap decisions under stress do not lead to high quality decisions and any assessment of a situation under stress needs to be held suspect. What I worry about, I think we've mentioned this before already this afternoon, 
or in this or program is that as stress builds in organizations, and we we can argue that it certainly must be, given that it's building in society, performance in organizations has to de be decaying. And the question is, what does leadership do about that? And Ed, you've got a good tool for, you can describe for anxiety in two forms, both chronic, I think you call it, you call it transactional and episodic. Yes. Yeah. And, and well, the, 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 the transactional and episodic are, are the same then, but the chronic is, is really the key. And, and, and I'll, I'll quick and try to paint a word picture here that, that actually Steve painted first for me. And he had a, a graph that he was able to show during a presentation. But if you can just imagine your day, uh, midnight to midnight, the whole, whole day, um, and, and our level of anxiety, there's really two components to our anxiety. The first, first level is what, what we would call the, the chronic anxiety. This is the anxiety that is always with us, even when we lie our heads down and sleep. And there's a, that, the level of that anxiety does not change much over, over the course of, of the day and maybe even stay th the same for uh, days, months, weeks, or decades, perhaps. And then there's the, the, the episodic anxiety, which, again, I sometimes say transactional. But and that's the stuff that happens during the day, getting your kids to school, the meeting with your boss, the conversation with a customer, uh, all of those things that, that create anxiety in, in, in us on, on a on a, in an episodic way. And those, that, that is more like the stock market, right? Up, up, up and down over, over time. The, the, the point is, is that most of, of leadership is, as you point out, pointed out earlier with regard to the books is here's the five things that you can do. And they're all targeted at dealing with that episodic stuff that, well, how do I have a less stressful situation when I'm trying to get my kid out to the baseball game or whatever? And, you know, maybe it's planning or these are the five things that you can do. But the reality is, is that if, if the chronic anxiety is at a certain level, instead of like a, a, a lower level, it's at a medium level already. Well, then the transactional stuff that sits on top of that will always be in a worse off situation. So what I think that you and, and Steve point out is, hey, what we've really got to do as leaders is deal with this chronic anxiety piece, not the episodic stuff. That's that's going to happen no matter what. But how do we deal with the episodic? And, and we give an example that you and I talked about this morning, Howard, and that is an observation that I saw in the last 48 hours on my in my Facebook stream of of what what this we mean when we say chronic anxiety and the and the entirety of chronic anxiety being elevated right now in society i had one friend great guy law, you know retired law enforcement person who in one of his posts said effectively this that watching the nfl is tantamount to treason which is a crime that's punishable by death and then a few streams later, I had somebody else say that if you send your kid to school, this is the equivalent of killing a teacher. This is murder. Another crime, in some cases, punishable by death. And, I'm, and, and I just saw this and I'm like, this is a great example, Howard, of those patterns that you say that people are seeing that, you know, if NFL, therefore you must die uh, and traitor, or if, if you send your kid to school, you are killing people. 
um, that that those patterns that that's not there. Those they're, they're, now there there's I, I see where people are trying to make those links, but that's just not the reality. How do we begin to lower that level of chronic anxiety in society? And by the way, you got five minutes before a break. <laughs> <laughs> So well, five minutes funny. to fix, to fix it all, go. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I, I think about leaders and high levels of anxiety and how we think, and they're first managing themselves under high chronic levels of anxiety and then working with others who are, whose performance they have some responsibility for, who have a high levels of chronic anxiety and understanding that when that anxiety is high, the capacity for creativity, innovation and invention declines. So your friend's um, assessment that attending an NFL game is tantamount to treason is not, it, it, it is not a rational thought process. It is an emotional process. And the little secret in lead about leadership, or at least the upstream secret that we think exists about leadership is it's less an intellectual process than it is an emotional process. Because performance by leaders and those who report to them is most affected by the emotional envelope in which performance is happening and leadership is being performed than it is by the intellectual envelope. The emotional envelope has a far greater capacity for impacting and constraining effective performance and leadership than the intellectual process does. And what do we do about that? And in, maybe after the break, we can talk about these styles of leadership in some ways, which um, which we think are not effective because they are, in, they are designed to control people who are in often emotional states which prevent them from being controlled. And why don't you quote Ed Friedman, the one that you, his quote that you like so much, Ed, about motivation and why it doesn't work. Or, yeah. Or how it yeah. Uh, I even created a stupid long acronym for this, which is like, because it's such a long quote, but it's the, the colossal misunderstanding of our time is the assumption that insight will work with people who are unmotivated to change. And I just constantly process myself through that one. It is, it, and, and, how I just see so many uh, parents with, with, with their kids, how many people in business, how many people in, in charitable organizations, church groups that they're just like, well, if I could, if I could just give them that one nugget, it'll, they'll get it. They'll go, Oh, right. Ed, you got it. Okay, cool. <laughs> I just can't get Megan to do it the way I want her to do it. Yep. If I could just find a way to do it. Megan's not motivated. Megan's not going to be able to do it. Yeah. No matter what insight you give to them, 
And yeah, it's it's a it's a really 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 challenging problem. Well, I think we're we're set up great for after the the break, Howard, because not only do should we go through those different leadership styles, but I even have a question from one of our longtime listeners that I think will be a perfect lead-in for that. But right now, we want to remind you that you can contact us at thesoulofenterprise.com, which is where the website is. But I want to remind you about our Patreon site. If you want to take that extra leap and hear not only commercial-free episodes of The Soul of Enterprise, but also our bonus episodes that we do fairly regularly. Actually, it has been every week, but unfortunately, Ron has had some uh, challenges with that. But I have every confidence we'll be back, back doing them soon. But right now, a word from our sponsor. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Back on the Soul of Enterprise, but before we get rolling today, now would be a good time if you're listening as a podcast to just quick hit that pause button and make sure that you subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode on in the future. Um, Howard, I wanted to, to, to see if we can talk perhaps a, a little bit about organizational gridlock and then even move into what potentially people can do about this in, in terms of adapting, you know, the word that you never hear cited in the media today, and that is maturity. But let's, let's talk about gridlock in organizations. You're, you're right about that last. We don't hear that word spoken. <laughs> it's like leadership. It's, a, it's, it's a absent without leave. It's gone AWOL. Um, yeah. Friedman, Friedman's book is a great resource for this thinking. And uh, and just jump quick in. That's called it's called a failure of nerve leadership in the age of the quick fix. So those of you fix, are right. interested, yep. And he's got a couple of <laughs> lists of characteristics of organizations who are in what he calls gridlock or are um, 
chronically anxious. Gridlock and chronically anxious is sort of the same thing. And he uh, has quick, quick lists of what they look like. Um, chronically anxious organizations can be uh, identified by the level of intense reactivity that uh, occurs in the organization um, to among people, people to people, or people to events. And any leader who's listening now or anybody who works anywhere who's listening now can think of a time in his or her work environment where there's been, from that person's perspective, an overreaction, a high overreaction to the existence of some significant problem that's being faced. So that's reactivity and intense reactions. This is another, the second one is very interesting to me. Friedman calls it herding, which is gathering around the least mature, which when we talk about emotional maturity in us and therefore in organizations, when we're working in organizations, what we mean is people who have insight into how their own reactions get in the way of their capacity to be rational and, and think critically and be highly situationally aware. The least mature people in the organization tend to call the great, who, who have lower levels of what I just described or no levels of what I just described tend to be the people around whom others gather. It's a, there's a sort of a magnetism that happens, which causes, which deepens the level of anxiety in the organization. It's a reinforcing process. The quick fix mentality is another characteristic where pain relief is more important than fundamental change. And finally, this lack and absence of well-differentiated leadership where leaders can remain self-defined and emotionally mature and highly rational in the face of extraordinary challenges and stress. By the way, that rubs off on people when that happens in leaders who are leading others. Characteristics of gridlock organizations include, and everyone I mentioned this to, every person I've ever mentioned this first one to relates deeply to it, an unending treadmill of trying harder, which is to say, I'm not getting anywhere successfully. I'm not getting things accomplished as I should. Therefore, my solution is to try harder. And we know that that process usually leads to less success rather than more. Looking for answers rather than reframing questions happens in gridlock organizations. And then this either or thinking is the final one where false dichotomies are created and we're considering one solution or another, neither one of which is a good, appropriate or proper solutions. The leadership that tends to exist in organizations that fit the, these lists I just discussed and Freeman gives us are one of two types and they're common and they've been with us forever. They either exist to control and direct and intimidate people to get them to do what they do, 
or they exist to rescue and save and babysit people who seem to be off the rails and need to be um, saved by a leader on a white horse. I believe, I think you believe, Steve believed, that each of these types are manipulative and technique driven and have very little chance of high performance results in the organizations where they exist. Yeah. And, and if I could just make an interesting point that occurred to me while you were talking, Howard, in, in a sense, this is, this is what we, we tend to see in the political environment, right? We have people who are backing the leader who, who is d- displaying the power and trying to get people to do what he or she wants them to do. And then there's the other one, the other type, well, I, I, you know, if we just follow my seven point plan, we will be saved. Right. I've got right. the plan. I've got, <laughs> I've, got the I've got the list. Here's the list. Here's the five point list. Right. And it's strange how we are, uh, as as a culture, then you know, a- a- attracted to these folks. I've I've often said, and I've talked about this on uh, my political career on the show as a as a person who has run for office and a libertarian. When I when I present some of these topics it's 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 very fascinating to see people you know ed you're right but you're never going to get elected on the platform of well let's be non-anxious <laughs> right <laughs> i promise to be the most non-anxious governor <laughs> yeah. all right um so and so and we've got uh, we've got about five minutes or so be- before the break and, and let, let let's talk about that that because I the, the the whole concept of anxious leadership and non anxious leadership I, I don't know if we have time for the full four modes of being but I just think the the notion of notion of anxiety anxious versus non anxious is worth exploring so could you talk a little bit about that well I think you can do the four modes of being better than I but I'll be happy <laughs> to do it if you if you wish we we imagine four boxes and a leader can be in one of four boxes and tends to be in one most of the time. Um, and they are described as follow. A a leader can be anxiously present or anxiously absent in the system, or the leader can be non-anxiously present or non-anxiously absent in the system. Now, absent, the absent, the two absent pieces are interesting because one gets the impression that, well, the leader must be out of the office. (laughs) Right. And, and, and is absent. And, and we, we, we've got a little different nuance about that. Um, many of us have worked with leaders who we know they're around. We know they're in the place. We know we're going to run into them periodically or maybe even regularly. We also know that they're not really present. They're not really with it. They seem to be distracted or always working on something else that, or focused on something else that isn't all that relevant to what I might be doing, even though I report to the leader, just not all that present, more absent than present. And, and, and those two forms can be anxiously so or non-anxiously so. Can we tell if the leader is absent? I think if we're tuned up well enough, we can. It's harder to do that if they're absent, but I, th- I still think it can be done. Naturally, the, the 
um, the leader with an anxious presence creates more of the of the characteristics we just read in a anxious organization or gridlocked organization from Friedman. The way the 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 goal to get to by a leader is to be non-anxiously present. By non-anxious, I mean a leader who is non-reactive, emotionally mature, is capable of remaining um, successful at critical thinking, helps people understanding the situation, and then allows them the freedom, who is this Peter Block, who uh, describes leadership this way, Ed, you know him better than I, yeah. um, allows people the freedom to Complete the complete the quote for me. I don't have it. Oh, sure. No, he, he, uh, Block would 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 say that people uh, leader, leaders are, are those that confront people with their with their freedom. Confront people with their freedom. Yeah. So a a a non anxious present leader is interested in confronting people with their own freedom, which in fact is a way of helping followers become more emotionally mature and therefore more effective performers. And let's just talk about that, that word for a second, because you, you latched onto it earlier. And I think why, why, why do you suppose we don't hear that word ever uttered in media at all? Mature. In like we, we, we would, we would never hear, well, that was, uh, or, or even immature. Like we don't, we don't even hear saying, well, that's an immature response. We don't even hear that concept anymore. Words fall out of usage because they fall out of favor mm. or they fall out of usage because they're just misused. Um, I think maturity may have a bit of an, it, it's, it has sort of a, uh, a, a critical edge to it when people hear it and it's uncomfortable uh, to be accused of being immature is a is an insult rather than a suggestion for growth and um, maybe it's maybe it's a trigger word that is no longer useful in our kind of dialogue about it I miss it I wish I heard more of it yeah very true. Very true. And we, we, we talked about that area that, that, that one, one of the, the, the signs that we're seeing that's, that's so concerning is people equating the use of words with actual physical violence, which just to me seems so, so, so ridiculous, but that that's, that's the mode that a lot of folks are in. Yes. Scary, indeed. scary yes. stuff. All right. Well, up against our last break, uh, again, want to remind you about the Patreon site, patreon.com slash TSOE, where you can listen to the bonus episodes as well as a, the show commercial free. Also, the email address for the show is asktsoe at verisage.com. Follow the Twitter handle at askverisage.com to see all of the updates that we do during the show. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage.
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe to today please for the love of god make it stop when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you are tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And as I mentioned, Howard was an early guest of The Soul of Enterprise. He was actually, I'm sorry, I said second. You were our third interview, Howard. We had uh, Deirdre McCloskey, Rory Sutherland, and then, then Howard and Steve on uh, and it was episode 11 for so those of you interested in listening to that if you go to the soul of enterprise.com slash 11 one one slash 11 you will go right immediately to that show notes page where you can listen to the, sh- the show with uh, howard and steve um, howard i had a, a, a longtime listener and also fellow at the verisage institute send in a question for you earlier this week so i let's let's go there and David asks, he said, I'm interested to know if Howard has a perspective on whether remote working and whether COVID-19 related or not is immaterial to him, uh, impairs the ability of a workplace to deliver or auspice meaningfulness. And if so, what a conscientious employer might be able to do to maintain the possibility of workplace contributing to a sense of meaning. I love the question. It's got a lot of good layers in it. Um, I'm going to make an assumption, which may not be fair for David, that meaningfulness, by meaningfulness, we, we may be saying both uh, performance and perhaps satisfaction, levels of satisfaction. If I have meaning work, meaningful work, I I have some level of satisfaction because there is meaning in that work. Um, there's a member of my family who works with a Fortune 500 company um, vacationing with us uh, last week who was talking about the product management level medical company uh, was talking about how they were 
moving away from team meetings face-to-face -face into an international remote scope of doing work together and how um, easier it was to do he thought that it would be. In fact, he could see that there were some real benefits in how they could work successfully, not in the same room, but finding other ways to communicate almost as successfully. I, I would, uh, and I know he works for an organization that has a strong mission and uh, a strong set of shared values. And I know that organization is authentic about those, about that mission and values, which means it's prone to regularly communicate them. And I would guess that that works well in, in particularly well in remote environments, because no matter where you are, if the values and mission are working and are authentically supported by your leaders, then it really doesn't matter where you are. Um, you can be confident that you're making decisions in alignment with how they ought to be made in your organization. And then I wonder too, in David's question, whether there's that that some remote, some people working remote have found a new sense of their own maturity in learning to work with maybe, you know, a longer rope to the life jacket uh, than there used to be, uh, a little more separation from the lifeboat than there used to be. And they may be finding new ways to accommodate that change in themselves and creating some maturity uh, along as well. Uh, let's hope that's happening more than those who I'm sure also feel lost, uh, disconnected, uh, missing the social construct and contact that exists when they're in the office with others. And, and to those, I hope they're finding a way to, um, to adjust to that. And David, I hope that's some sort of answer to your question. And yeah, I think it's if it's not, let me know. Yeah, I, you know, I think that the 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 real challenge that I see at Howard is is if you've got a decent culture and and meaningfulness in place already, then I think you should be able to continue it. the The real challenge, as I see it, from a remote perspective, and again, I think David is right on board. Whether this is COVID nineteen or not, is how how do you how do you instill that meaningfulness and connectedness? to someone who's new to the organization where you don't have that physical, never had that physical relationship. How do you, or what do you say? Yeah. Well, yeah, um, we, what, yeah. Yeah. What would you say? Yeah. Yeah. What would you say? Right. So that's, that's the real challenge. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, hey, the, we got we got about four minutes left, and th this is another thing that crossed my desk today after our, our earlier conversation. And I wanted to get your reaction to this as a as a human resources professional. With uh, and and one of the ways I used to introduce you is you were the in charge of HR with Great Plains when, when they went from thirty people to three thousand, which is not that much of an exaggeration. So, um, and. I was listening to an interview about a year and a half ago, Tyler Cowan, also a guest on this program, his asking his, his, uh, his interviewee subject, in, in this case, Jordan Peterson. He said, if we look at senior management 
in large companies as a class of people. What do you, what would be your advice to them? And this was Peterson's response. I would caution them not to underestimate the damage that their human resource department can do. <laughs> yeah, he has a point. Uh, he has a point. A uh, quick story. Um, when I was first meeting human resources at our then young company, uh, it occurred to me and, and my, my leader uh, helped me understand this. Uh, by the way, the best boss I ever worked for. Uh, when he when he said uh, at one point, your human resources department is beginning to turn you're beginning to turn your human resources department into an emergency room, and I'm not so sure that's what you want to be doing. And and I was offended when I heard it, but and it took me a little time to figure out why that was such a brilliant piece of insight, and it did change once I understood how brilliant that insight was. It did change a lot of how we thought about doing our work. People were coming into our offices and they were complaining about this, or complaining about that, or feeling abused by one thing or another, and we failed to help them figure out their own solutions to the problems that in many cases they were creating for themselves. Instead, we tried to rescue, save them, and uh, advise them and consult them about how they should respond and react to what was happening. Once we turned that corner, we began to help create more mature people in the organization rather than people that were dependent on us to bail them out. So Peterson has a point when human resources are trying to save people from themselves rather than in sometimes using bad cop, good cop procedures or, or practices, what do you, this is a problem you really don't need to bring to me because it's one you can solve yourself. That's the message that HR departments can start to send to people. And, and they're hiring people who are capable of hearing that message and doing something with it. Then human resources department can become much more legitimate, I think. And Howard, we've got about a minute left. Um, are you, because I, I do know the answer to this question, but if you're not, we're okay. Are you comfortable revealing who, who that boss was in this context? Sure. Uh, Doug Burgum, who's the current governor of North Dakota, and was the, uh, the visionary and driving force uh, behind the, uh, the success that was Great Plains software. Yeah, and, and for those of you who haven't seen it, highly, highly recommend looking up Governor Burgum's speech, I think at the end of May, although it might've been early June in which he addresses the mask wearing issue, still in my, my opinion, the most emotionally mature and, and best response from a politician uh, that I've seen with regard to the COVID crisis. So I agree. I agree. Cl classic stuff. Well, that's the, that's, that's the hope, I suppose, Howard, that th there, there are these people out there. So to, who exist, and I guess we, we need to be the change we want to be in the world and, and start with just managing our own level of anxiety. And, and, and as always in talking with you, I'm less anxious than, than I was when I started. <laughs> so thank you. I'm glad of that. Ed. <laughs> All right. Well, we, we offer the audience peace and courage. We do. Good to be with you. All right. I'll see you in 167 hours. Roger. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy. 
sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. That's 1 p.m. Pacific for our 300th show. Hopefully, Ron Baker will be back with bells on. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us at the website, www.thesoulofenterprise.com.